2 Chronicles chapter 20 is where we're going to be at today. Uh, we're going to wrap up this, the summer series that we've titled, This Verse Changed My Life. And if you haven't been here, you've kind of been in and out because it's summer. We've heard from a lot of different people, a lot of different voices. Um, but I get the, uh, the privilege to kind of cap that off this week. And then next week, we're going to jump into a, um, we're going to study through the book of Nehemiah, which I'm pretty excited about. So uh, anyways, here's the question I want to give you this morning to kind of get us headed where we're going. Is what do you do when you don't know what to do? And I don't want you to answer out loud, right? But, but what do you do? Like in those moments where you feel like anxious or afraid or overwhelmed um, or uh, confused, paralyzed by fear, like you, like you don't know what direction to go, you don't know who to turn to. Like what do you do when you don't know what to do? And I ask that question because that is really the question that's at the heart of the text this morning. And so what I want to do is kind of what we did a couple weeks ago. I'm going to invite you, if you're able, I invite you to stand with us, stand together. And we're going to read um, 2 Chronicles 20, starting in chapter, starting in verse 1, and then we'll read through verse 12. So here's, here's what the author writes. It says, after this, the Moabites and the Ammonites, and with, with them some of the Meunites, came against Jehosh Jehoshaphat for battle. And some men came and told Jehoshaphat, A great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea, and behold, they are in Hazazan Tamer, that is, in Gedi. And then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah in Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the, you rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And they have lived in it and have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, If disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save and now behold, the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt, and whom they avoided and did not destroy, behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. And here's kind of the, the central verse. O oh, our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. You guys can go ahead and have a seat. So to set the scene, kind of what's going on here, the nation of Israel, God's chosen nation, they've come out of Egypt, they've been given the promised land, a lot of stuff has happened, uh, but to make a long story short, the kingdom has divided. Okay, so you've got... 
uh, Israel, kind of the, the northern kingdom, retained the name Israel, but then you've also got the southern kingdom, which is uh, Judah. All right? And then Jehoshaphat, who's kind of a prominent figure in the text this morning, is the king of Judah at this time. He's the, the fourth king uh, of Judah. And uh, he, he doesn't have a flawless track record, not a perfect king, uh, but, but overall sort of generally considered a good, godly king. Right? He, he, he ruled well over the people of Judah, uh, specifically because if we were to back up a couple chapters, we'd see that Jehoshaphat introduced some reforms to turn the people uh, of Judah away from the, the idols and the false gods of the, kind of the surrounding nations and to turn their hearts back to the Lord. Right? So uh, he's, a, he's a, not a perfect king, but he's a, he's a good king. Right? He's done some really good things in the eyes of the Lord. But despite all the good that he's done, uh, he gets some, some pretty alarming news in verse 2. Right? It says, Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, A great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea. And behold, they are in Hazazen Tamer, that is in Gedi. And so to put that in context... Uh, I don't have a map. If I did, I could kind of show you where some of these things are. But basically what's happened is he's gotten the report that there is a, a, an army of sort of allied nations, sort of the, the nations that surround them. Some of them have allied together, uh, and they are on their way to fight and make war against Judah. Right? And, and not only are they on their way, they're not far off. Like They're, they're coming in pretty hot. And they're really about a, a day's journey away. So Jehoshaphat's got... Basically, less than 24 hours to figure out, what are we going to do? Right? And we, we see his response in verse 3. Right? It says, and Jehoshaphat was, what's the word? Afraid. He's afraid. So it made me think, you got this king who has, uh, who is, he's determined to see the people of Judah turn their hearts from worshiping foreign gods and idols and, and he's torn down altars and he's torn down idols and he's defied these false gods of, of foreign armies. He's defied these, um, these nations. He's boldly called God's people to, to repentance, to turn their hearts back to the Lord, uh, to, to turn from their sin and from their idolatry. Uh, he, like, he's, he's not a coward. Right? This is a, a guy that's led with some, uh, with some, with some tenacity. Right? He's, he's not a coward. He's, dude's got some depth and some moxie to him. And yet, he gets this one alarming report. And we instantly see his, his response. Right? He says, he was afraid. Right? For, for all his sort of uh, leadership and, and the reforms that he's done, with one announcement, he is struck with fear. Right? And this is why I love the honesty of the Bible. Right? Because... And knowing how the story ends, the, the author of this could have looked back and said, you know what, let's, let's erase that part about Jehoshaphat being afraid. But they don't. Right? They leave in this little detail that as soon as he gets the report of, uh, of this sort of allied army coming against him, it says he was afraid. Right? And, and I, th I think it's important for us to see here that, that fear is a natural response. Right? Fear is a natural response of the human heart. Right? You, you cannot control a response of fear any more than you can control excitement 
or being sad or being angry or, goodness, being hungry for that matter. Right? Like you, it just, something happens and you're afraid. And I think what we've done in the church world is because we don't fully understand what we're supposed to do with fear. We just like slap a bumper sticker on it, you know, faith over fear. And then we just like kind of ignore it. Don't really do anything with that thing that makes us afraid. And, and all we're doing is just kind of looking past it. We're not actually dealing with it. Right? So listen, there, it's, not, it's not wrong to be afraid. It's not wrong to experience feelings of, of fear. Okay, when, when you get an unexpected announcement, right? when the, the, the diagnosis is not what you were hoping for, right? when when it feels like things are moving in sort of an alarming direction at an alarming rate. Like fear is a natural response. Okay, it's okay to feel afraid. But as the people of God, right, what we're called to do is to take that, right, that emotion that just kind of like happens, like we can't control it, to take that and surrender and submit it to the God who is actually powerful enough to do something about the thing that, that we're afraid of, right? So, so it's okay to be afraid. It's okay to experience fear. We just don't want to lay down and wallow in it. You know what I'm saying? We want to take that, submit it to the God who, who invites us to cast all our cares and our anxieties on him because he's got power. Uh, he's got the power to do something about it. And so that's what we see Jehoshaphat do. Verse, back in verse three, it says, Jehoshaphat was afraid and... He set his face to seek the Lord. And he proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. And from all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. So a couple things to point out here in his response. The first thing is, is man, he seeks the Lord. Yeah, he's afraid, but he immediately turns and seeks the Lord. The text says it three separate times, right? He Seeks the Lord. He assembles Judah to seek help from the Lord. They came together to seek the Lord. Right? Faced with fear, like this daunting thing that he's like, I don't know what to do with. He turns to the Lord. All right now, I don't know about you, but my natural response is usually not to turn directly to the Lord when I'm afraid. Right, I'm, is this a safe space? Can I be safe here? My confession to you as a pastor is, is rarely is my sort of gut level response when I feel overwhelmed and afraid is to be like, you know what? I need to take this straight to the Lord. Right? Here's how it usually happens for me. Right? I, like I feel overwhelmed. I feel panicked. I feel afraid, feel some anxiety like well up in me. And, and then usually what happens, rather than taking that straight to the Lord and saying, God, you got to do something with this, what happens is I rely on kind of my own strength, my own knowledge, my own competence, whatever there is. And I'm like, what do I need to do to figure this thing out? All right, that's usually my initial response. And then what happens is like the more I dwell on it, the more I realize, oh my gosh, I can't do anything about this because, hey, I'm not omnipotent. I'm not omniscient. I'm not sovereign. In a word, I'm not God. Then I bring it to him and I'm like, God, I've done the best. I, I, I don't have anything I can do. I've tried wasn't able to affect much change. I'm powerless. Can you take it from here? Right, like that's usually how things go 
for me. But, but Jehoshaphat, what we see here is there's fear followed immediately by, I'm going to surrender and submit this to the Lord. Okay, but not only does he just seek the Lord, notice he also seeks the Lord in community with others. Right? It says, he proclaimed a fast throughout all of Judah. Right? And, and all of Judah assembles together to seek the Lord. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. Right? Jehoshaphat's fear didn't result in him sort of kind of retreating into his room in the palace and just like cowering in fear. No, it says that he, he's like, oh my gosh, I'm overwhelmed. I'm afraid. I don't know what to do. I got to invite some people into this. Right? He if anything, he sort of broadcasted his weakness and vulnerability and invited others into that space. Right? And, and I, listen, I point that out because I think you guys know me well enough by now. Anytime I get a chance to just put before you the importance of growing in biblical community with others, I'm going to do it. Right? And when I say biblical community, I don't mean just like kind of being around people that you have sort of some common interest with. Right? When, what I mean by growing in biblical community with others is, is sort of growing and developing in the kind of relationships that, uh, like, like with your church family, so that when things go south, like when the bottom falls out, like you're not alone. Right? When you're panicked and paralyzed by fear and overwhelmed and anxious, like you can invite people into that. Right, to, have, to have people that could encourage you and, and pray for you and support you and check in on you. Right, like you, you don't have to announce it to the whole nation. You don't have to stand up before the church and announce it to the whole church like Jehoshaphat does. But, but man, you need a crew. Right? Like you need some people that you can just be like, man, here's where I am. I don't know what to do. Would you pray for me? Would you help me? Would you encourage me? Would you remind me of of God's promises in, in my life. Like you need some people that will not let you go AWOL when things get hard or, or turn out in a way that you did not expect them to turn out. We all need that. Okay, and, and maybe you're sitting here and you're like, mm, that's for some, that's for kind of like the super spiritually elite. I don't really need that. Then I would contend that like you may need it more than you realize you need it. Because what the enemy loves to do is to get us alone. Right? The enemy loves to get us alone because that's where he does his most destructive work. And that's where he starts breathing lies. And we believe him because we don't, we don't have anybody around us telling us otherwise. Right? So we seek the Lord, seek community, or seek the Lord in community with others. And so... Back to the text, you got all of Judah assembling, right, to seek the Lord together. And then we have recorded for us Jehoshaphat's prayer, beginning in verse 6. I want to look at it again. Here's what he prays. He says, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations, and in your hand are power and might, so that none is able to withstand you. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? 
And they have lived in it and have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house. And we'll cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save us. So here's quickly, relatively quickly. The first half of Jehoshaphat's prayer is, is rooted in the sovereign power of God. Right? Like they're, they're not just seeking help because uh, it, it makes them feel better. Right? They're, they're, seeking God's, they're seeking God's help. They're crying out to the God who, who, look at what it says, the God that rules over all the kingdoms of the nations. Right? The God in whose hand are power and might. The God who drives out nations before them. The God uh, who hears and saves his people from afflictions. Like This is the God they're crying out to. Right? Their, their prayer isn't some sort of therapeutic tool or, or coping mechanism to just make them feel a little bit better about the situation that they're in. Right? It, it's calling on the omnipotent, sovereign God of the universe to act on their behalf. Right? That's what they're doing. Right? But, but not only is the prayer rooted in God's sovereign power, it's also rooted in his sovereign plans and purposes. Let me show you what I mean. Look at verse 10. So the prayer continues, and Jehoshaphat says, And now behold the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, catch this, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt, and whom they avoided and did not destroy. Behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. This, like, this part is fascinating. If we had time, we could like, go back, kind of look through, trace the history of, of Israel as they left Egypt. And, and what happens is, is God, as they're leaving Egypt and into the wilderness and eventually into the promised land, uh, he begins giving these sort of nations into the hand of Israel, saying, hey, Right, you, you go out against them, drive them out of the land that I'm giving to you. You go out against them, drive them out of the land that I'm giving to you. But there's a few nations, a few peoples that God says, don't drive them out. Do not, right, he, like he says, you know what, just do not contend with them. Leave them alone. Do not go through there. Don't drive them out. And some of those specifically were the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir. And so now, what you've got is generations later. Right, this is several hundred years after Israel leaves uh, Egypt and they're going in the promised land. You've got generations later. These nations that God prohibited Israel from uh, defeating and driving out back then, all of a sudden they're back and they're back with a vengeance. Right? If only God had let Israel drive them out way back then, then Jehoshaphat wouldn't find themselves, Jehoshaphat and Judah, they wouldn't find themselves in this situation, right? Unless, unless God had this moment in 2 Chronicles 20 on his radar way back when they were leaving Egypt. Or if you want to get really crazy, 
could it be that God had this moment that he's about to show up and show off? Could it be that he had this date on his calendar before the foundations of the world? Right? In, in ways that I cannot fully wrap my mind around, that I cannot fully explain because I don't fully understand it. The God we worship exists outside of space and time. Like all we know is like time. Things happen in the past, the present, the future. And yet we worship a God that exists outside of that. And what I mean more specifically is, is the future is not just something that God knows or that he can predict. Like he's already there. Again, I, I don't like, I'm about to short circuit up here. And so the reason that's significant is because, man, it means that God is always at work, always orchestrating things here and now that may not make sense to us here and now, that, that he's going to reveal one day on down the road, that he'll make sense of one day on down the road. Right, things that He's doing things here and now that we may not even be aware of, or maybe we are aware of, but we don't understand it. We don't know why. Right? And maybe we'll never make sense of it on this side of eternity. Right? But it doesn't mean that God's not doing something. Right? It, it could be the things that don't make sense to you right now or that you kind of have a hard time piecing together right now that one day God's going to redeem that and reveal that to your great, 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 great grandchildren who don't even know your name. Right? Because God is, is always, always, at the end of the day, God is always at work, primarily for his glory. And we're going to see it here in this story in just a minute. Right? He's always at work. So, so what didn't make sense to Israel way back then when they're leaving Egypt, all of a sudden it's about to get a little more clear. Right? He's always working things together for his glory and on his timeline. And so we get to the last verse of Jehoshaphat's prayer. It's just like the most honest, vulnerable, dependent prayer, right? It's, if I can be honest, it's a prayer that I feel like I've prayed some variation of about a gazillion times. Honestly, it's a prayer that like, I've got, I got stuff right now that like, this is what I'm praying. All right, look at it again. Verse 12. Oh, our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great Horde against this great army that's coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. If I could, if I could rephrase it, maybe in a way that, that I've prayed, maybe you've prayed it, I don't know. It's like saying, God, will you just do what is good and right? I'm scared, I'm overwhelmed. Like I, I don't have anything to offer. I am powerless to affect any change in, in this circumstance or this situation. I don't know what to do. I don't know what you want me to do, but I'm trusting you to do something. That's their prayer, right? So I started this morning by asking you, what do you do when you don't know what to do? Right, but I want to drive that a little bit deeper because what, here, here's my sort of application question for you is, are there areas in your life 
right now where you're like, I got this thing and I don't know what to do with it. I'm powerless to do anything with it. Right, maybe, it's, maybe it's something spiritual. Like maybe you uh, just got like this sort of ongoing indwelling sin that you have like tried to put to death and you're just like, I can't. Right, why am I still angry? Why am I still struggling with lust or greed or, or pride? or like? Maybe you just feel powerless against it. Right, or maybe it's, maybe it's relational. Maybe it's like your relationship with, with your spouse. You're like, this, like I, don't, I don't know what to do here. Like I've tried. I'm not making any progress. Maybe it's with your children. Right? You feel the, the weight of parenting. Right? Maybe it's some sort of other relationship you have that's just kind of under a lot of, a lot of tension and stress right now. Right, maybe it's something just kind of more, more practical or, or physical. Maybe there's, uh, and maybe you're anxiously awaiting some test results. Or maybe you've got some coming up that you're like, I don't know what's going to happen here, but I'm, I'm powerless. I can't do anything with it. Maybe it's financial stress and burden. Right, maybe it's some other big, significant, important life decision that's like you just feel paralyzed by. You're like, I don't know what to do with this. I don't know what the right thing to do is. I want to encourage you to think about what that might be for you. Like, not not just like in general what that might be, like for you. Like, what is that thing or what what are those things? I mean, I got mine. Like, I'm not even kidding. Like, as I was studying this week, I've got, here's my sticky note. It's not just one thing. It's a list of things that I'm like, gosh, I don't know what to do with these things. And by the way, these are things I've almost already tried to figure out on my own and I come to the realization like I, I got nothing. Right, so, so what is that for you? And I want you to think about it, kind of circle it in your mind or maybe you've got a, a pen and a piece of paper, maybe you just write it down and we're going to come back to that in just a minute. But here's what I want to do. Before we're going to move towards a time of, of response, we're not going to get there yet, so don't hear that as, as me winding down completely. Um, you guys already know that. But before we get to that time of response, I want to give you the cliff note version of kind of how this story plays out here in Second Chronicles 20. Um, so you get, they assemble, they pray, and then down a few verses later in verse uh, 15, there's a man named Jehaziel, and he, he comes and he prophesies to the people of Judah, um, on the prophesies on behalf of the Lord. So here's what the Lord says through this prophet. Verse 15, it says, Thus says the Lord to you, Do not be afraid, and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle, catch this, the battle is not yours, but God's. And then you skip down to verse 17, he continues, he says, so this is God speaking to the people of Judah. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out against them, and the Lord will be with you. So so Jehoshaphat's prayer was 
asking God to show them what to do because he didn't know what to do. And, and I don't know if you caught it, but, but God's response was basically, I don't want you to do anything. Right? The battle's mine. All you need to do is show up and trust me. Right? And then I love, I love the final promise in verse 18, right, where he says, um, I'm sorry, verse 17, the final promise where he says, and the Lord will be with you. Sometimes God flexes and fights and wins the battle like quickly. Like sometimes there's like you've got this need, whatever it might be, and God shows up and he brings immediate deliverance or immediate healing or immediate provision or whatever your need is. Like he meets it quickly and in the moment. Right? Praise God for those moments. But that's not always the case, right? Right? Sometimes God's promise to his people is not immediate victory or immediate healing or to quickly answer all our questions and take away all our pain. Right? Sometimes the promise that we have to cling to is, is this promise, that the Lord is with us. Right? That he's sustaining you, that he's strengthening you, that he's holding you up until either he takes care of it or until he brings you home to glory where there is no more suffering, there is no more pain, there is no more well, questions or doubts or fears or anxieties. There is no more being overwhelmed. Right, to to kind of keep with the, the battle reference, here's what I, what I think the Lord does based on what I see in his word and what, just what I've experienced. It's been sometimes the Lord fights and wins the battle. But then sometimes he just sustains you to fight another day. And that's, that's what he does. And so finally, I've always loved the response of Jehoshaphat and the people of Judah as they receive this word from the Lord. If you look at verse 18, it says, Then Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord before the battle was won, right? before the other army even showed up, like they're still on their way. It says that they, they bow down and they pray and they worship the Lord. Right? But before, there's a victory. Right? And I love a couple of verses later, uh, it even says that, that as they're going out to victory, that they send, uh, they don't send their, their strongest warriors up front. If you know you know they send out into the battle the worship leaders. Like they're going, I mean, can you imagine? Like we're going out to war and we're like, all right, it's time to go fight. Zach, lead the way. That's not a knock on Zach. He's a physically imposing dude, right? But imagine like we're going out to war and we're like, Zach, wait, you're gonna you're gonna lead this thing off. Uh, listen, you're not getting a weapon. Okay, I'm going to give you, just bring your guitar. Probably need a capo. 
and those velvety smooth vocal cords and that'll be enough. Right? Like, like it sounds absurd. Like that's how they went into battle except it's not absurd. It's confidence. Not confidence in themselves. Not confidence like, man, we are awesome. We are mighty. We are strong. We are powerful. We're going to take these guys out. Right? It's confidence in the word they received from the Lord. Right? Confident that they would, he would fulfill his promise to them. And this is exactly what he did. Because here's kind of how the story ends in verse 22. It says, when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come out against Judah, so that they were routed. I love that. Routed. Not just defeated, but like defeated decisively. Routed. And so as we kind of come to a place of response this morning, I'm going I'm to give you some, some prompts to respond here in just a minute. But first, let me give you, here's your confidence. Right, the, the people of Israel were confident in the Lord's word. Here's your confidence as we consider how we might respond this morning. God has already routed your greatest enemy. Right, he, has, he has already decisively defeated your greatest enemy. Through the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, God has crushed the head of the serpent. Right? He has set an ambush against uh, what, what Paul would call the, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Like, like they're, they're defeated. Right? He's once and for all decisively defeated sin and death and hell and the grave through the death of burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. And, and listen, if you have placed your trust in Jesus Christ, victory is yours. Like, you, you're walking in it. You may not fully experience it now, and you won't fully experience all that that means until you step into glory one day, but the victory is yours. The ultimate victory is yours if you've trusted in Jesus. And so if God has already promised you the ultimate victory, why would we not bring these, these lesser things to him? Right, why would we not get on our faces and say, God, we, we, I got this stuff that I don't know what to do with. I'm powerless. So would you help? Would you show up? Would you give an answer? Would you give some healing? Would you give some wisdom? She gives him provision. I don't, I don't know what your need is, but why would we not bring that to him? And so here's how we're going to close our time together this morning. Um, the band's going to come up in just a minute. They're going to lead us in uh, a song and then um, kind of a time of praise, just like the people of Judah. They're going to they're lead us in that. And then my invitation to you is just that we would kind of follow the example set here, that we would sort of corporately and, and as a community get on our face before the Lord and say, man, we got stuff that we're powerless. We don't know what to do with it. So we're giving it to you. All right, and, and if you're like me and you've got some stuff, I want to invite you like specifically to the altar to come and to just say, I don't know what to do with this, Lord, but I'm giving it to you. My eyes are on you. All right, listen, I'll be here, right? I'll have my sticky note. You can come 
Come down here with me. All right, but let's bring it before the Lord, corporately, in community. Bring it before the Lord. And, and if you're here and you're like, man, I, I don't know, I, I got nothing, things are going pretty well, great. Praise the Lord. The rest of us will try not to covet and resent you. Right? But, but then we'll, you're still invited to participate. Right? Come, maybe just pray over us, man. Maybe you're like, my life's going great. Um, there's, but there's some of us here that could use you just and praying over us. All right, so, so this, listen, that's what we're going to do. This is, like, is going to be the end of the service. Like, I already gave you the announcement, so there's nothing happening after this. We're going to come. Um, I'm going to pray for us. The altars are going to be open. The band's going to sing. If, if you get done before the band is done, then you can pop up and, and hang around and sing. Uh, if you outlast the band, just hit the lights on your way out. It's fine, okay? But, but listen, we're gonna, I'm going to pray for us and over us. The altars will be open, um, and, and I'll save you a spot next to me. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that just reminds us that, Lord, these moments right now when we pray, uh, it is not just some sort of thing we do because it's what Christians do. It's, It's not just some sort of coping mechanism or therapeutic tool to make us feel a little bit better about whatever it is we're dealing with. Like This is us coming to you and just saying, and we don't know what to do with this, but we're asking you, the omnipotent, omniscient, sovereign God and creator of the universe, we're asking you, we're begging you to work on our behalf, to do what we are powerless to do. These places and spaces where we just throw our hands up because we're like, I don't know what to do with this. Lord, we, we bring them to you now this morning. I pray that in this moment, Lord, as we prepare to respond, that you would begin to put things in the minds of, of your children here in this room, things that have been weighing on their hearts and minds. Maybe it's fresh and it's front and center. Or maybe it's something that... Um, they've dealt with for so long that they just kind of put it on the back burner and forgot about it because they just thought it was hopeless. Pray that you would bring that thing or those things to their mind and they would, they would come and then we would bring them before you here. Not because there's anything magical about the three to five feet in front of the stage, but, but I, just because, Lord, we want to, I think there's something powerful when we put some feet to our faith and we join with this body of believers just sort of acknowledging with one another like we got needs we need you to we need you to work and move and so I pray that you would bring those things to mind Lord and that we would would do more than just think about them we would bring them and lay them before you and Lord we ask you to move we ask you to work we ask you to to heal we ask you to provide we ask you to bring wisdom whatever the needs are we pray that you would meet them Lord, we love you. We thank you for the confidence that we have that 
that come what may, that victory is already ours, that the ultimate enemy has already been defeated. And so, Lord, we want to come with confidence with an infinite number of of important but, but lesser things. So, Lord, help us to respond as you would have us to respond. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.